Welcome to Track to the Future, an Array Technologies podcast and your source for insight into utility-scale PV tracking innovation. We'll be discussing thoughtful engineering, plant reliability and performance, and new developments in solar tracking. Join us for industry trends, expert opinions, and more, lighting the way to a brighter, smarter future. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Track to the Future, a podcast from Array Technologies. I'm your host, Tyler Kern, and today's episode is going to look at best practices for bifacial in modeling software. So we're going to explore some tips and tricks on using solar simulation software to optimize energy yield calculations and design for bifacial modules for solar power plants. For those of you out there who are not familiar with Array Technologies, let me tell you that Array is a leading solar tracking solutions and services provider for utility-scale PV projects. With efficient installation and terrain flexibility, coupled with high reliability, durability, and performance, Array helps clients maximize project returns. As the chosen tracker for more than 30 gigawatt years of production, Array's products have been optimized through unparalleled experience garnered over three decades. Joining me today is John Sharp. He's the Vice President of Product Management for Array Technologies. John, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Tyler. I appreciate it. Absolutely, absolutely. And then we also have Cumin Lee here with us as well. He's the Director of Product Innovation for Array Technologies. Cumin, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for hosting this podcast. Absolutely. It's a, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to uh, chat with you guys today. John, let's start off with you. Uh, bi- bifacial solar cells aren't necessarily new. Uh, they're not something that, that has popped up in recent years, but they have become a hotter topic and they have become more of a trend to discuss. Why do you think this is? I think there's a couple of reasons, Tyler. Um, first of all, you're right. They're not um, new technologies. They have been around for quite some time. But with any new technology, what's happened with bifacial uh, technology and bifacial cells is that the cost of, of producing those is starting to come down. And at the same time, the pressure that we see on utility scale installations to produce the same energy at a lower price or a lower cost is rising all the time. And so there's a lot of interest in the utility scale market for finding technologies that can get more energy out of your system for the same or a lower price. Yeah, that that absolutely makes a lot of sense. Now, Cumin, you kind of deal more in the in the technological realm. Uh, what has happened that has really allowed the cost uh, of these bifacial solar cells to drop uh, over the last several years, kind of making them a little bit more accessible? Sure, Tyler. So. Actually, there was a significant transition in the solar cell technology about five to six years ago. So a new generation of high-efficiency solar cells called PERC cells started to be produced in mass scale. And I mean, the PERC structure has been around for a long time, but it was basically the first high-efficiency cell that has actually hit the mass production and became popular. And previously, to make bifacial solar cells, you had to rely on an N-type solar cell technology, which is much more expensive. But it just turned out that PERC cells could be made bifacial too. And that was kind of like the best news for the solar industry. So by tweaking the metallization patterns and engineering the processes slightly differently, PERC cell, which were just monofacial at start, PERC cells could be made bifacial. And that just made bifacial solar panels a viable product. You no longer had to depend on expensive N-type solar cell technology, and they just and there were just enough perk cell manufacturers just two three years ago, and they could all transition into making 
bifacial solar cells. So that's what made the bifacial products so widespread nowadays. So John, just with this this widespreading uh, of this particular technology and with this becoming a hotter topic and trend, I'm sure it's something that you discuss on a pretty regular basis in your conversations with clients. What are some of the primary questions that you're seeing from customers as they consider bifacial in recent years? No, that's a great question, Tyler. And, and of course, it is a, a really hot topic when we talk to not only our customers, but just you know people in the industry in general. Um, a lot of times you'll be in a conversation and, and someone will simply say, hey, you know, how much bifacial gain will I get if I change my system from a standard system to bifacial? Um, sometimes they'll ask, you know, how much bifacial gain am I going to get with your tracker, which, uh, of course, Array Technologies makes trackers. Um, the other questions are a little more specific, but generally along the same lines that, you know, questions are, what's the optimal height to mount the modules off the ground with your tracker? Or what's the optimal width or the, the spacing between the rows of PV modules to get the most out of my system? And I think um, probably the final question that we get hit with a lot is, hey, what parameters should I be using when I'm modeling bifacial performance within PV Syst? All excellent questions. <clears throat> And all questions that require, you know, a, a good bit of uh, research and and a systematic approach to answering those. So, right, right, absolutely. So, so Cumin, let's let's kind of get into some of the technical side of of some of those questions. Uh, when it comes to uh, the amount of energy that can be gained, um, maybe over. Uh, traditional ways of doing things. Uh, when you when you switch to bifacial, uh, how much more energy is gained, and what has been common knowledge, and, and then what have you found to be true? Yep, that's a great question, Tyler. So one of the problems with the early days of bifacial testing was that the testing was done by research institutes and universities on small-scale setups. And then they've tried various things like painting the ground white, raising up the insulation artificially high. And all those things have resulted in very generous gain numbers in the order of 20 to 30%. But we are, what we are seeing now and what the modeling, all the new modeling softwares are predicting now is that for single axis trackers on large scale installations, the number you should be expecting is in the range of 5 to 10%. And it's actually going to be closer to 5% than to 10%. Yeah, and Tyler, it's John Sharp. Um, about a year ago, or maybe even a year and a half ago, there was a lot of perception and a lot of people wishing that they would get gains in the kind of 12 to 15% range. As you can think about it, if you get, you know, 10 to 15% more energy off of a system without a, a corresponding increase in, in price of the system, then you see dollars in your eyes there. But as Cumin said, you know, those kinds of gains really came from situations that, that didn't apply to large scale utility scale photovoltaics. So. Yeah, so it sounds like what you're saying is that the the way in which this technology was tested wasn't equivalent to the way that it was going to be used out in, in practical applications. That is correct. So what actually defines the utility scale system in the view of bifacial system is that we do not have a single row of solar panels. You just have rows and rows and rows of solar panels repeating every... Uh, 15 feet or so. So what you end up creating mm -hmm. on the ground are the shadow patterns of the PV modules that's basically designed to maximize the light capturing on the front. So for bifacial systems to be 
effective. You need a lot of light hitting the ground, which gets reflected off and then find their way to the backside of the solar panels. But on utility scale installations, when you have those almost infinite rows of solar panels spaced regularly, a lot of the ground is just shadow, shadow of, I mean, the modes themselves. So this periodic self-shading effect that you see in utility scale installations, that's the primary reason why you'll, you'll get lower numbers in large installations as opposed to small lab setups where they usually put up like only one or two rows of solar panels. Right. Now, John, kind of uh, walk me through why it's important to have accurate readings and accurate measurements of the amount of energy that's going to be created when you're discussing this with clients. Obviously, you, you want to be able to be accurate up front and you want to be able to tell them exactly what to expect. Kind of talk me through why that's such an important process for array technologies. Sure. Um, well, I think, you know, first and foremost, the, the kind of uh, photovoltaic systems we're talking about are very large assets. Um, you know, in many cases, these assets are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And so like any asset, um, what the financing company or the developer needs to understand is what kind of cash flows or what kind of value am I going to get if I decide to invest in this asset? And when and where is that money going to come from over time? And so a very small percentage of something worth several hundred million dollars uh, needs to be calculated accurately. And the way the way they approach this is any photovoltaic system um, is looked at from its value of how much energy can it create over time and what's the value of that energy over time. There's a few other nuances to that, but that's a basic model that that most clients will use. And so the engineers who are modeling the performance of these systems are telling the banks and the financiers what the value of that asset will be over time. And so getting that number correct or as close to correct as possible with the associated um, <clears throat> with the associated probability that that asset will perform is how these these systems will make money over time and how they get financed. Because this is this is obviously an industry that that many people want to see move forward, right? With with more renewable energy, uh, there are a lot of people that are invested in this, not just from a financial perspective, but also from uh, an environmental perspective of just wanting to see more and more of this technology. So an incorrect assumption of the amount of money that can be gained off of this, I think, uh, might set things back a little bit, right? And so there, there's there's that element to consider as well, right? Just not, not even from a financial perspective, but just simply from an expectations perspective of what solar energy can really do for the environment and do for the world. I think that there's probably something to be said for that too. Yeah, absolutely, Tyler. I think the credibility of this, this still fairly young industry is something we all should should look on and and um, defend as well as well as we can. So, so Cuman, when you when you take a look at um, the testing and, and the various uh, studies that have been done, you you really did an in depth look at this. Can you kind of explain the way and, and kind of get into the nitty gritty of the testing that you've done and the way that you've seen this um, and the way that you approached this particular topic and this particular study? Sure. So by the time when we took on the test. Um, we took on the testing of bifacial systems on our trackers. We had a lot of uh, lessons learned from previous examples of bad testing, or let's say like insufficient testing. So a lot of people had used a very small number of rows, very short rows, and like artificially high, highly reflected ground cover to boost up those bifacial gain numbers. 
So when we started this project, what we wanted to capture is first that periodic shading effect that you do see in utility scale power, power plants. And second, we did not want to jack up the albedo, that's the ground reflectance. We did not want to jack that up too high as to be unrealistic for our customers. So we basically kept that in the range that's realistic for the American Southwest. And we also ended up making pretty long rows, about 30 meter rows. And we used five rows that are spaced about 18 feet apart. And we only collected the data from the in, inner three rows. And all that testing was carried out at an ISO 17025 accredited laboratory called CFE Labs in Albuquerque. And they know what they're doing. So we basically took on the best experts to uh, execute this experiment. And we used the best measuring practices possible. And then we made sure that our numbers are not uh, influenced by edge effects or the non-regular, irregular shading effects that had haunted the previous experiments in the industry. Absolutely. So what, what were your findings from that? You, you mentioned that, that more 5 to 10% uh, range as opposed to the 20 to the 30 that was being uh, talked about and discussed and uh, that we talked a little bit about earlier. What were your findings, especially when it came to maybe the optimal height um, and, and some of the other questions that, that customers are getting uh, that John spoke of earlier, Cumin? What, what were some of the, uh, the findings that you found as far as height and maybe parameters and that sort of thing? Yeah, sure. So before discussing the experimental results, I do need to explain what type of modeling methodology that we employ. Mm -hmm. So in this industry, there is a software that almost anyone use, everyone uses for the modeling, and it's called PBSYST. It's made in Switzerland by a company in Geneva. It's been in the industry for a long time, and they started including the bifacial simulations a couple of years ago. And they use a simplified version of modeling called the two-dimensional view factor, but that's the mainstream approach that's been taken up by the modeling softwares. We also worked with a company in Australia called TV Lighthouse, and they have one of the best, if not the best, 3D ray tracing optical modeling software for PV. So they had done this for quite some time and we worked with them to make sure to do ray tracing modeling of the track, our trackers to make sure that all the nuances of shading from different structural components get included in the simulation as well. And those components tend to get omitted from the simplistic modeling approaches taken by PVSYST and similar softwares. And what we ended up finding is that once we tweaked the PVSYS modeling using the numbers recommended by the 3D weight tracing approach, the PVSYS numbers came out to match the test results really well. So we basically gained confidence that we had done the testing correctly, that the, the main mainstream software called PVSYS, it is doing the bifacial modeling Correctly, and we just may need to make sure that we are putting in inputs that have been derived through a three systematic ray tracing study. So we have these numbers for our trackers, as well as for some generic other trackers with different configurations. But that was the main finding that the modeling approach that the industry has taken on is valid. 
the numbers are accurate and that our customers can actually have confidence that when they do PVC simulations themselves, what they are going to find is going to be very close to what those simulations suggest. Right. So, so John, as you have conversations then with, with clients and with customers on the potential of this particular technology, uh, what are some of the things that, um, what are some of the factors that they should be thinking through? What, what is important to them and how can you speak to that a little bit further? Sure. Um, so if I go back to the questions that, that the customers were asking at the beginning and, and kind of expand those out, um, first and foremost, they want to know, how do I model this within PVSYST, as, as Cumin was describing? But then there's a lot of factors around there that they have to um, understand and make tough choices. Um, for example, which module should I pick? Um, how high off the ground do I put these modules? What row spacing should I use, et cetera, et cetera. And I think a lot of folks want to have a single answer to those questions, but the reality is, is it depends on the particular site. It depends on the ground on your site and the cost that it takes you to install these things. And so if you take a look at it, someone will ask, well, hey, how high should I raise this module off the ground? Well, it's not just a matter of what happens when you raise that module off the ground, but how much does it cost you to do that? Uh, and so I think that's kind of a recurring theme that we're, we're seeing out there in the market right now is people looking at these design trade-offs. And that's why it's so important to understand that if I make a design trade-off, that I can accurately model it with a tool that's respected in the industry within PVSYST and that the parameters that we put into it come from a systematic approach and have value and will represent what will happen in the field. So the, the way that I like to describe this to, to a lot of people is, is when, we, when we set out to understand bifacial performance, we took a three-pronged approach to answering those questions. Uh, first and foremost is we had to get some field data and we had to get reliable field data, as Cuman talked about. And that field data had to be set up in such a way that you could isolate one effect from the other um, and need, needed to do so in an independent way where the outcome didn't matter to the person doing the testing. So that's why we, we did that field testing at CFB Laboratories. The second is we needed to have a, a modeling tool that we could use to change parameters that are difficult to change once you drill in the ground or pour concrete or pull wires out in the field. And so that PV Lighthouse approach allows us to do virtual experiments where we can understand the effects of one or the other um, and make those trade-offs uh, with, with actual information. And then the third, of course, is to validate all the above with PVSYST. So uh, not a simple question, but, but the result is to give our customers and the industry confidence in the tool in PVSYST that they can understand what those trade-offs would be. Right, and, and I, think, I think one of the things that, uh, that it's extremely beneficial to know is that this isn't a, there's not a one-size-fits-all solution, right? And so it's about balancing and figuring out the things that matter most to you and I guess tallying up that give and take a little bit, like what you're speaking to. Yeah, so I think a great example might be, uh, Tyler, that if, if someone determines that they can get a little more energy off of their system by spacing the rows further apart, um, then, then that's a legitimate approach to, to maximizing the value of your asset. However, if you take a look, land costs money and wires cost money and um, it depends on what you're what you're trying to optimize on your particular piece of land if you're trying to get the the lowest um lcoe the levelized cost of electricity 
uh, for that piece of land, that's one approach. But if you're simply trying to get as much power as you can off of that piece of land, that's another parameter that you're trying to optimize. So, Keeman, I think one of the interesting things to discuss about all of this is that the industry as a whole was obviously really excited and really um, enthusiastic about those that 20 to 30 percent number that was being discussed quite a bit and was being published around. Uh, what has the reaction been to the testing now that it's shown it's it's more like five to 10 percent? What has the reaction been throughout the industry and how are people handling that news? Yeah, uh, that's a great question, Tyler. So go back four or five years and you see numbers like 20 to 30%. Go back two, three years, you see numbers like 15 to 20%. And now we are down to five to 10%, but that's not a bad number. I mean, you still get five to 10% energy gain with very small increase in the actually cost for a PV project. So still, that's a very good number to work with. And the, another interesting thing, thing that has happened is that PVSYS came out with the bifacial simulation about two, three years ago. And the initial reaction was very mixed because PVSYS has done the implementation of the bifacial 2D view factor correctly. And then even two, two years ago, if you run simulations with PVSYS, you'd see numbers in the five to 10% range, not 15 to 20% or 20 to 30% range. And some people initially even suspected that PVCIS had botched the implementation of the bifacial simulation because the numbers that they were seeing out of PVCIS was so much lower than the numbers that they had seen in previous experimental studies, which involved very small scale setups. So I think the whole industry as is in a learning period it has come a great distance in learning what to expect from bifacial systems. There are still some players who are expecting numbers like 15 to 20%, 10 to 15%, but now I think more sophisticated players are actually comfortable with 5 to 10%, and which is more realistic. And now I think we are just on the right path. And what we have done is that we have done very well-controlled systematic testing and systematic ray tracing modeling to validate the different modeling approaches for that have existed for bifacial system modeling. We have validated that the 2D view factor approach that PVCIS uses is accurate, but we have also found is that there are some knobs that you can turn in those PVCIS simulations related to bifacials and what we have basically shown is that through a systematic study that involves 3D ray tracing, you can actually arrive at very accurate numbers for those knobs uh, for, for, for locations across the US. So we have calculated, we have contracted PV Lighthouse to carry out that study. We have those numbers for sunny locations in the US. Those numbers you'll find in our white paper that's available on our website and also on a GTM webinar that we had done a couple of months ago. Right, absolutely. Now, now, John, um, since this is Array Technologies, this is our first podcast, uh, can you kind of give us a general overview of uh, Array and what you do and all of the various areas where you have expertise? Uh, I know that you have a lot of history in this particular industry, and so kind of talk me through a little bit of that and, uh, and a little bit more about what Array does. Sure. Thanks, Tyler. So um, Array Technologies has been in the tracker business for 30 years, 
and we've got uh, 30 gigawatt years of operational experience. Um, in particular, we've got over 900 utility scale projects worldwide in 25 countries. And so Array Technologies has been the, uh, the technology leader in tracking technologies for three decades. Um, we are the technology leader when it comes to understanding performance of PV systems. And in particular, for this prod podcast, we're talking about bifacial technologies. Right. Now, you know, we, we talked a little bit earlier just about the fact that there's not a one-size-fits-all solution for everybody. And I think it's important to to note anyways the, the flexibility of Array's design and a little bit more of the, the flexibility that Array possesses. Can you kind of talk me through a little bit more of that? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, as, as we talk about bifacial technologies, um, some of the things that, that are parameters or things you can change on a tracker are row heights. Um, you can change the distance between rows. You can change um, how your tracker turns with the terrain and things that go up and down on hills. And so Array Technologies has a tracker that can meet all those needs and make changes simply um, in order to meet the needs of a particular project's goals, um, whether that be um, optimizing the LSOE off of a piece of land or optimizing the power off of a piece of land. And, um, and we'd be glad to work with you directly if you want to reach out to our, our business development staff and, uh, and set up conversations for your particular needs. All right, John. Before we say goodbye, let's let's put a bow on this and uh, and kind of give everybody a summary. How do you how do you recommend people move forward now with modeling? Uh, great question, Tyler. So um, let me just summarize what what we've talked about today. So first, you know, bifacial technologies have come a long way in a short period of time. There's a lot of interest, especially at the utility scale um, development, where people want to know how to use and how to model bifacial technologies. So Array Technologies in conjunction with independent labs, uh, CFE laboratories, as well as independent modelers, PV Lighthouse, have taken a, a systematic approach to answering those questions realistically with uh, field data, as well as a modeling tool and corroborated with PV Syst modeling. And you know, the conclusion is, is that PV Syst can be used with confidence. It's a tool that will give accurate results when you put um, the correct information into it. And what we can offer moving forward is if you'd like to, to further the discussion with Array Technologies, please reach out to Array and or your business development uh, contact at Array Technologies and we'll help you further your knowledge. Can you give us the website where people can, uh, can find more info on Array Technologies? Absolutely. It's ArrayTechInc.com. That's ArrayTechInc.com. Well, everybody, thank you so much for uh, for joining me for this first episode of Track to the Future, a podcast by Array Technologies. Thank you, John, and thank you, Cumin. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Tyler. Absolutely. And everybody, thank you for listening to this first episode. Of course, there'll be there will be more episodes of the podcast coming shortly. So make sure you hit subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're on a website, make sure to bookmark that site and uh, make sure to come back and listen to future episodes of the podcast. Like I mentioned before, I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for listening.